0: Thank you for listening to Embassy City Church's audio podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message and his word today. For more information on our church, please visit us at embassycity.com. I'm not rushing to the word, but I'm eager to get to it. I have a lot to cover. Um, And uh, I I really believe that this message is going to calibrate uh, the way that we think, especially about a lot of the things that are going on. Uh, In the world right now, what I love about uh, leading this church and teaching the word on the weekends is that uh, I'm not dictated by the headlines that that unless the Lord gives me a burden to teach something, I don't teach it because if I do, it'd be my own emotion and my own personal feelings that come out more than God's truth in his word. But it just so happens, since we've been in this series on heart murmurs, that God has extended it and now wants us to know the things that murmur in his heart and how appropriate that this message would be for today. So if you're my nerds in the building, you're taking notes, because why? Nerds rule the world. world. Yes, you all are residents. (laughs) Y'all ain't visitors, that's that's a blessing. Uh, Nerds rule the world, so take really good notes. Today's message is entitled, God God's heart murmurs for justice. God's heart murmurs for justice. And uh, I got to read you uh, Genesis chapter number four and give you an account. Um, I don't know if many of you all know, but um, I did not plan for my life to turn out like this. I I didn't know I was going to be preaching for the last 21 years Uh, And be in ministry and definitely didn't see pastor in a church from the time I was four years old I wanted to be in law enforcement. Well, if I'm telling the truth, I wanted to be Batman and um, I told my dad when I was four years old that I wanted to be Batman and his reply was hey We live in LA and Batman would get shot out here Um, So you can't be Batman And so after that, I was just like, well, my dreams are dashed. Maybe I'll just be in law enforcement. So from the time I was four years old, my mother worked for the LAPD for 30 years. From the time I was four years old, I wanted to be in law enforcement. Uh, And as I got into my teenage years, I began to really nerd out. Um, uh, I memorized uh, two-thirds of the uh, California Penal Code by the time I was 16, and I never got drunk in my life and never smoked weed in my life, not because I lived there in a religious house, but because I knew two detectives were going to be sent back to kindergarten <laughs> and walk all the way up through my life to forensically peer into every stage of my life with pictures of me going, hey, has little Timmy been good in this neighborhood? Uh, and... Uh, actually got through uh, the preliminary rounds of going into law enforcement before giving my life to Christ and five weeks later preaching and never turning around since. So there you have it. The reason why I said all that (laughs) is because I'm excited about this uh, particular narrative this morning because it allows me to do some forensics. I'm really, really happy about that. Uh, There's really some uh, legal criminal justice elements to this that that really really excite me. So uh, let me read you this narrative, and then we're just going to dive right in. Now, Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord, Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know. Cain responded, am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will, be home, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, no, no. For I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. God's heart murmurs for justice. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, help us to see justice from heaven's perspective. In Jesus' name, amen. 50 killed in Las Vegas. Yet another tragedy in Great Britain. Police brutality, gang violence. This month that we're in right now, October. Is Domestic Violence Month, and there will be more candles placed in more canals representing the lives of people who have been lost to abuse. And what we're screaming in our country and our nation right now behind every hashtag is a question. Where is the justice? Who's going to do something about this? Sex slavery is a real thing in 2017. Who's going to do something about this? Children are being abused, neglected by their guardians. Who is going to do something about this? Where is the justice for these people? A lot of times, this one question turns people's hearts away from God. Because they can't answer the question, because they can't seem to find God in the middle of uh, uh, the situation, they say, you know what, there must not be a God because why would he let this happen? If there's really a God, why would he allow this type of injustice to happen? Well, you must have a context to the God we serve and how he sees it from his perspective. Because it's not that he's allowing it, but it is that he has to govern himself based off of the parameters he set. And Genesis is the seed book for a reason, because everything goes down in Genesis, In these first 50 chapters, everything that would be going down for the rest of the ages happened in Genesis. So we don't just get creation and the beauty and the marvel and the splendor of God's work. We don't just get the amazing creation of man and the presentation of a woman. We don't just get this family that has a relationship with God. We also get drama. we also get failure, we also get human frailty, and it doesn't take long. I would have liked it a little bit better if we could have had like maybe six or seven or eight or maybe 10 chapters of of the enjoyment of Eden. Adam made like little sculptures out of the shrubs, and Eve found some shiplap. And flipped the house. That would have been great. Like if maybe for 10 chapters we could have saw how like they really enjoyed it. How do you screw it up by the third chapter? It's like, wow, he made the stars and the earth and the land and the water and the mammals and the fish and, and the birds and the cattle. And he made man and he made woman. They found each other. It was amazing. Then there was a serpent Then it was jacked up. It's not even at the end of chapter three that it happens. It happens in the beginning. (laughs) But what happens in chapter number three is disobedience. What happens in chapter four is murder. The way God responds to Adam and Eve in chapter number three is as a father. Responding as any parent would to a disobedient child. But ladies and gentlemen, in one chapter, God has to go from father to judge. Because he's not dealing with disobedience, he's dealing with a criminal act. In Genesis chapter number three, they take a bite of the forbidden fruit They hear God walking in the cool of the day, an anthropomorphic term, to just try to get our minds around God's being and his sovereignty and his deity. He responds to them and he asks them a question, hey, where are you? It's a rhetorical question. He's not trying to find them. He's giving them an opportunity to find themselves. I know where you are, do you? They didn't seem to be able to be as transparent as they needed to be in the moment, and so discipline has to come from a dad. And he says, you shouldn't have done this, and because you've done this, there's going to be consequences, just like any parent would give to their child when they're disobedient. Those consequences were uh, that you can't stay here before you mess something else up, so we're going to have to put you out, but I'm going to cover your nakedness I'm going to kill something and cover your nakedness. You pulled away, you put something off of its life support and tried to cover yourself. That's going to wither away and die, so I'm going to be the one to come up with your grace. I'll be the one that gives you the justice that you need. Chapter number four is quite different. Because Cain gives an offering to the Lord Abel gives an offering to the Lord. Cain's is not accepted. Abel's is. And the Lord asks Cain a question. Why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? A question that we don't get an answer to. We get the instruction, hey, you better watch this anger, if not You know that stuff that your mom and dad took in? They knew good in the absence of evil. Now they know the evil side, and I'm telling you, you don't want to know that evil side. Watch out. Sin's creeping at the door. But you have to subdue it just like I want you to dominate every other aspect of the world that I gave you. Scripture says the next day, Cain invites his brother Abel out into a field, and there He strikes him and kills him, and God comes back with another question. And this is when it turns into law and order. Bam! bam. Um, He says, "Hey, where's your brother?" And Cain's response is the seminal moment of all injustice that would ever be done for the rest of humanity. Am I my brother's guardian? I don't have to keep up with him, he should look out for himself. He should have fended for himself. This wouldn't have been, this wouldn't have happened if he was stronger, if he was wiser. If he if if he if he knew how angry I was, this, this is a seminal moment of how all injustice has happened for the rest of humanity. Because no one thinks that they're their brother's guardian. They abdicate their responsibility, and this is where all injustice ensues. The reason why this intrigues me with a uh, homicide detection background is because uh, there is a murder, and in every murder, we want to find the suspect, but we also want to know the motive. If you want to frustrate a detective, let him be able to close a case without having the motive. Because we just want to know, why did this happen? Who goes up into a hotel room, knocks out a window, and start shooting people. Okay, finally, we know his name. Why, though? Why did this have to happen? Why was this little person who is defenseless molested? Why? And if we don't get the answers to that, those questions, it gets incredibly frustrating. Here, we have the suspect. And we have DNA evidence, and we don't have to send it into a lab because it's speaking for itself. God said, "Um, Abel's blood is talking to me, and you need to understand why it was talking because life is in the blood. The ground had never tasted blood before. It was repulsed and told the creator on the created, and he had to turn into a judge. He couldn't be father, he had to turn into a judge, and he goes, um, uh, I, have to, I, have to, I have to hit you with a, with a sentence. Your dad got a consequence for disobedience. You have to get hit with a sentence for criminal activity. And he says, um, you know, your dad was disobedient, and now he has to work harder for the ground to give him something. Um, but your sentence is, the ground will give you nothing. And you'll be a wanderer for the rest of your days. Cain makes an appeal to the judge and says, my sentence is too harsh for me. Someone's going to kill me. He said, nope. If someone kills you, I'll give a sevenfold punishment to that person. Here is the judge passing a judgment and still showing grace When he passes the judgment, he says, "Uh, I'm going to give you a mark, and that mark will indicate to anybody else that they cannot harm you. So let me give you two things about about injustice that I want you to write down, okay? Point number one, all injustice starts with anger. Hear me closely. If you want the motive behind all injustice, it starts with anger. Here's what it says in Genesis 4 and 6. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? He asked him this question because he knows that he got angry and he knows what anger is going to lead to. It's going to lead to an injustice. If you wanna know the motive behind all injustice, it is anger. It's not hurt, it's not shame, it's not embarrassment, it's anger. Anger that you didn't get something that you wanted when you wanted it, anger that you've been wronged or unfairly treated, anger about something causes someone to act injustice or give injustice to someone else. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter number four. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. (laughs) For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Hear me. Let's go back to the crime scene in Genesis four. God asked him a question. Why are you so angry? Why are you dejected? If you do what is right, you'll be accepted. If you don't do what is right, you better watch out because sin is lying at the door, but you must subdue it. You cannot let it subdue you. We don't get a response from Cain, which lets us know he started to sit in his anger. And then scripture lets us know one day, which means this is a different day than God asked him about his anger, which means he was sitting in it. And you know what happens when you sit in your anger and you let the sun go down on your anger? You start being counseled by Satan. There's a conversation going on within your head, and it's not with the Holy Spirit, You lay in the bed or you're sitting down and you start to stew in that anger. And here's what the enemy starts telling you. Can you believe? Can you believe what they said to you? This happens in more marriages than anyone sitting next to their spouse wants to admit right now. Did you hear the tone that they told you to wash some dishes in? I know you ain't going to wash some dishes with them telling you like that. They better come correct. You don't tell me to wash these dishes. They did it. And they did it last week, too. Remember what they did last week? And then remember when you told them to go to the store, all you wanted was chips. All you said was, pick me up some chips. And they forgot your chips. And then remember before you got married? Before y'all got married. You remember that one time y'all went on that date? And he ate off your plate? And you don't like anybody to eat off your plate? And then do you remember that one time when he was talking to his ex-girlfriend? And you told him, wait a minute, we we were over here with dishes. (laughs) But that demonic counsel got you five years back bringing all of it into evidence. Because when you're being counseled by Satan, he wants you to stew in the anger so he can get you to a point to act unjustified towards someone else. Cain got angry that Abel had a, had a sacrifice that was accepted and his wasn't. And here's the thing that was crazy. He's not really mad at Abel. He's mad at God. He takes it out on Abel. He sees his offering accepted. He sees his rejected. And God says, hey, if you do what is right, all you got to do is do different than what you did. And instead instead of him making the sacrifice to just give something that he was supposed to, he took something he wasn't supposed to. I'm telling you, Anger is at the root of all injustice. And let me give you three points about justice. Point number one, write this down. God is for justice. Psalm so 103, and, and here's the thing, I would have to go through the entire, the entire Bible to talk about the justice of God because he is just, which just means truth, which just means righteous, which just means holy. But it does have, in many of these Hebrew and Greek words, a, um, a legal uh, uh, definition and context to it because he is a holy judge. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. Now, I'm going to go back to this in a minute at the end of the message, because this is one of those verses that if you've ever had injustice enacted upon you, uh, you will feel like this, that scripture is not the truth. Because if it was true, then God would have dealt with this person that was unjust towards me. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. Isaiah 61 and 8. For I, the Lord, this is him talking, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully reward my people for their suffering and make an everlasting covenant with them. Here's what I want you to know. God is for justice. And there is nothing that is going on now that was going on then that escapes God's eye or his heart. Because his heart murmurs for justice. There is a heartbreaking, heart-wrenching that goes on in God every single time a situation like this happens. It happened in Genesis 4, and it's happened throughout the rest of Scripture, and it's happened throughout the rest of humanity, and it breaks God's heart like it was the first time, every time. Because his heart is for justice. Point number two, write this down. God wants us to be for justice. I to remember the seminal moment that humanity has used to enact injustice for thousands of years is the response to the question, where's your brother? And the answer being, am I my brother's keeper? I don't have to look out for him. They need to look out for themselves. It's survival of the fittest. It's kill or be killed. It's me or you. If it comes down to me or you, one of us got to go, it's not going to be me. It's not my fault they weren't strong enough. It's not my fault They didn't have their stuff together. I wouldn't have robbed them if they would have had a gun, but they didn't, so I got away with it. This is Texas. Everybody should get a gun. When the answer in someone's heart is, I don't have to look out for you, then look out for them. Because injustice may not be far behind. So here's what he says. To us as believers, as ambassadors, he wants us to be for justice. Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Hello, did you hear that? Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and Helpless and see that they get justice. It's our assignment. As ambassadors and believers of Jesus Christ, it is our assignment to see that those that are poor, helpless, disenfranchised get justice. We are our brother's keeper. Not just in the local community, but when we hear of things that go on in our community, we should be the ones that respond. We should be the ones that react. And we don't have to do it all, but we have to go where our heart leans when we feel and see injustice. Now let me say this because here's what happens uh, when it comes to uh, uh, social causes and and, um, instances of social justice people start getting mad at what part of God's heart they lean toward. So I have a heart for Africa, and, 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 and I, mean, I just want to gather all the supplies, and I want to make sure the people in Africa are okay. And here's somebody that feels uh, uh, that has a heart uh, to, to help uh, uh, local homeless people. I can't believe you're about to pack up all that stuff and send it to Africa when we got people dying right here. You ain't righteous. You ain't holy. You don't have the heart of God. Then the person that is doing all the homeless stuff for the local people, somebody else comes and says, can't believe. You give them free food to those homeless people. They just need to get about. They just need to get a job. What about these sex slaves? That's who we really need to be after. And I can't believe you're dealing with these homeless people wasting time. You ain't righteous. You're not holy. We need to be after sex slavery. That's what's on God's heart. And then somebody else turns around and says, these abused children need help. And I can't believe you're chasing those sex slaves because these abused children need help. And what you're really doing is arguing the peace of God that was given to them. Not one person in this room could handle what breaks God's heart in totality because you would live in depression for the rest of your life. So he has taken his huge heart and broke it into these tiny pieces and has allowed you to have a heart-leaning heart leaning towards a, a social issue or an injustice that's done. It could be as innocent as buying somebody on your job who you know is in a bad situation, some diapers for their child or flying to Puerto Rico to be boots on the ground to make sure resources are going to the right place. Don't argue about the peace of God's heart that you have. Be happy that he's given you a heart of compassion. We've partnered with um, the Irving Police Department, the chief of police. I sit on a board with him. He exposed us to two of the programs, and the program that we as Embassy City Church are helping with is the Family Advocacy Program. The Family Advocacy Program... Uh, is designed to help people in the Irving community uh, that are products of child abuse and domestic violence. They need as much prayer, spiritual counseling, and resources as you can possibly imagine. Because if a child has not been uh, abused or someone has not been uh, uh, taken advantage of, they don't even see them. So every case they take is a case where they have people that have been broken. That's where my heart leans. Many of you all know my story, and I'm going to share some more in a minute about me being molested when I was eight years old. This is something that was traumatic to me but also has broken the heart of God, and I want to see justice for these kids. So wherever his heart leans in you towards don't judge someone else because it may lean a different way we are all his ambassadors and i think through us all we could probably cover a large area that is on god's heart point number three write this down we did it to jesus pay attention to this But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Does this sound redemptive of what happened in Genesis 4? Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, we are. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me, I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refused to help. This is a strong word. It's not that you couldn't help. Because sometimes, have you ever been in a situation where uh, someone comes up to you and say, hey, man, can you spare some change? And you legitimately don't have anything. I have, I have nothing on me. There's no A-team around. I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I couldn't help you in that moment. Now, this is something completely different. Refuse. That's a choice. When you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing To help me. They will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. What we do for people, we do to Jesus. When we help the homeless and the helpless, the poor, the disenfranchised, the forgotten, we are doing it to Jesus. But some may ask the same question. Where was God when the Vegas shootings were happening? Where was God on 9-11? Where was God when I got abused? Where was God when my family member was murdered? Don't have an answer to that question. I don't believe in God because he doesn't show up when you need him to. I was in a counseling session one day, because I don't know if you know this or not, but pain has a funny way of lingering. I mean, even if it's a natural pain, it has a funny way of lingering. in certain situations, uh, even though it's an old wound, it can flare up. Anybody ever had a surgery of some kind and when the weather gets cold outside, your ligaments, your muscles start getting tense up and you're like, man, uh, this environment is causing this old wound. The surgery's eight or nine years old but I'm still feeling the effects of it. And so I didn't just go to an altar call for the the, the traumatic events in my life as it related to the molestation. Uh, And I didn't just go to one or two counseling sessions Uh, I have ongoing counseling. Like, sometimes I'm going to bring my counselors in here and just let you thank them personally. (laughs) Like, you should hug them and kiss them and, like, give them, like, you know, gift cards because they're the reason why I'm not crazy. So you have specifically benefited from me going to counseling. (laughs) Um, But I was in a counseling session. My counselor said to me, he said, hey, um... I know this might be painful, but I I want you to go back to that first instance where you were taken advantage of, and I want you to ask God where he was. So I did. I closed my eyes, and I said, God, would you please show me where you were? I was eight years old, and this happened to me. And in my mind's eye, it was so vivid, I saw Jesus standing and looking at this situation taking place and just kind of shaking his head like this with this sad look on his face. And the counselor asked me, do you see anything right now? I said, yeah. He said, what do you see? He said, uh, Jesus is in, is in the garage, and, and, and he's, he's looking at this situation, and he's, he's shaking his head no, and, and it's, it's like he's saying, you know what, I, I hate that this happened to you, but I'm going to use it for my glory. And the counselor said, stop, 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 stop. He said, no, 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 hold on. He said, hold on. He said, I'm going to pray again. He said, I need to pray again. And he, and he had a, like a, a very strong tone in his voice. He said, God, the Father, God, creator of the universe, Father of Tim, would you show Tim where you were when this was happening to you? He said, close your eyes. Close my eyes. This is no lie. <laughs> like I would. Um, <laughs> that figure that was Jesus turned into a demonic spirit. It had transformed itself trying to act like it was Jesus. And I looked at that demonic figure And when I turned around to look at what was happening to me, it wasn't me. It was Jesus. Jesus didn't watch this happen to me. He was with me when it happened to me if he was the stranger that you didn't let in your house and he was the homeless person that you didn't give any food to if he was the poor person that you didn't give any money to then he was the child that was molested He was the cousin that was murdered. He was you. He didn't just take on the sins you committed. He actually took on the sins that were committed on you. So where was God? He's with you. And his heart murmurs for justice. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more about Embassy City Church, please visit us at embassycity.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Embassy Irving.